Hello! Welcome to the Romance Me podcast. This is Erica. And I'm Em. And we'd like to say a special hello to our number one and only fan. Belated Happy New Year. Year of the Cat. Yay. Today we'll be discussing Book Lovers by Emily Henry. Nora Stevens is not a small town girl. Nora Stevens is the city girl who gets dumped by boyfriends for the small town girl. As a last hurrah before her sister gives birth, Nora and her sister Libby go to Sunshine Falls, North Carolina, so they can have a vacation from city life. A life Nora loves. But what's a vacay without a checklist? Not one Nora and Libby want to be on. So they devise a list of small town must-dos to keep themselves occupied. One of which is for Nora to date a small town guy. Nora goes along with this despite the fact that she's developing feelings for a not-so-small town guy who doesn't count as far as her sister is concerned. There will be spoilers beyond this point. Well, Erica, let's learn more about the city life that Nora loves so much. So job and living situation and yada, yada, yada. Perfect. So Nora and her sister grew up in New York City. Skyscrapers and everything. Nora had a single mom who was a struggling actress but somehow managed to imbue this sense of wonder into everything they did together as a family, at least as far as Nora is concerned. Her mom died when Nora was like 20 and her sister was 16. So Nora had to start taking care of Libby. She became her legal guardian. And as a result, had to give up her dream job, which was being an editor for a more lucrative job as a book agent or literary agent. She excels at her career and she really enjoys it. It's not, you know, editing, but it's it's good. She likes it. A lot of the time, Em, we talk about the trope of protector man. I think Nora is a protector woman. Yeah, I agree. Mostly her sister, Libby, of course. Mm-hmm. She has a humongous sense of responsibility and protective feelings for her sister. Yeah, that's where her skills got honed on. Yes, but also her clients. She is what we would probably call a workaholic. She doesn't really value things outside of taking care of people that she has deemed under her protection. (laughs) You fall under the umbrella. You will be protected. (laughs) Yeah. The umbrella is bulletproof. (laughs) (laughs) Enjoy your stay. (laughs) You cannot leave. (laughs) Yeah, her clients fall under that description as well. And her first and arguably best client is an author named Dusty Fielding. Dusty Fielding. Was that referenced in her in Emily Henry's other book? I feel like it is. (laughs) I am not sure, but I wouldn't be surprised. Maybe Emily Henry has like a little universe. Yeah, I'm just curious because I'm like, this name sounds very familiar and I don't know why. It's probably something really obvious. And if it's ever pointed out to me, I'll then have the joy of feeling like an idiot. Anyway, keep going. She's always available. It doesn't matter what time, what else she might possibly be doing. <laughs> she never sleeps. <laughs> <laughs> she, she really doesn't sleep very much. we we begin the story with a prologue where 
Nora is reaping the rewards of her hyper focus on work, I guess. <laughs> because she's getting broken up with over the phone by Grant, who we don't really get to know at all. But he's the type of guy who breaks up with people over the phone. So I feel good about him already. He is but a footnote in her story, but a painful footnote. But she stubbed this toe before, <laughs> so she's she's familiar with the pain. Yeah, and Grant has some legitimate issues with his relationship with Nora anyway, because he has realized that she's not emotionally available. Nora hasn't really opened up that part of her psyche or whatever <laughs> yeah. to boyfriends since her first and only love, Jacob, broke up with her when she was in her early 20s. Right around the same time her mom died and shit hit the fan. Her boyfriend was like, yeah, no, I'm out. I got other stuff to do. And Nora was like, well, that doesn't feel good. So we're just <laughs> going to block up that side of my brain and we're never going to experience that ever again <laughs> yeah her motivation is to create a safety net for her sister primarily and she's not gonna let anyone get in the way be it a boyfriend anyone nothing <laughs> like i said she's protector woman mm -hmm. so grant breaks up with her and it makes her late for a business meeting with Charlie, who is an editor. She has sent Charlie one of Dusty's books, her newest one, called Once in a Lifetime. She's going to meet and see what Charlie thinks, if he's interested in working with Dusty, etc. But when she arrives, the first words coming out of his mouth are, you are late. He is grumpy pants personified in this moment. <laughs> She's like, okay. And he says, yeah, this book is unreadable. No. <laughs> Nora, protector woman instincts immediately coming to the fore is basically like, well, fuck you then. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you think you are? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's a great first impression for both of them, really. Yes. And after this unfortunate meeting, they exchange snarky emails with each other. Neither of them really wants the other to have the last word, I think. <laughs> but this is the beginning of an uneasy professional relationship, I suppose. <laughs> because they're colleagues, you know? They work in the same field. They work in the same city. They're going to run into each other. Yay! <laughs> we get a time jump of two years. And now the book, Once in a Lifetime, is a major hit. It's hugely popular, and there is a movie coming out for it soon. So, screw you, Charlie. You were wrong. It was wonderful. Although, to be fair, and this happens a lot in this book, Nora privately agrees with Charlie. <laughs> it's not her author's best book. Ouch! On behalf of the author, maybe? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but she is a champion for her author, so she's not going to ever say that aloud ever ever that does not leave her brain okay we get to see libby and nora meeting up having a conversation libby is nora's younger sister libby is pregnant with her third child she got married at the age of 20 to 
like a guy who is like eight or nine years older than her, which for me was like red flag, red flag. But okay, fine. I guess it's wonderful. And they're in love and it's great. Different couples. I know, but 20 is so young. Ah. (laughs) There's a world between 20 and 28. It can be. It depends on like some people have more maturity at 20 than others do. And some 30-year-olds don't have the maturity that a 20-year-old can have. So, uh, it it really, it depends. Are you calling me judgy, Em? I don't want to. (laughs) Yeah, you are. It's okay. I am kind of judgy. I'm judgy. (laughs) I'm super freaking judgy. I think. Everybody's judgy. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways... For whatever reason, Libby and her husband, Brendan, have what Nora seems to think is a perfect relationship, perfect love. But as Nora and Libby are talking, Nora starts to realize that there's actually something wrong with Libby. She's not sure what it is, but the longer she thinks about it, she realizes that there's this distance kind of growing between them. It's not a comfortable feeling. She's used to being there for her sister. In such a way that she wants to know literally everything so that she can fix it if it's wrong. Yes. Even though Libby's a grown-ass woman with children of her own, other support in her life. This is Nora's, I think, primary motivation for anything she does is to make Libby happy. Yes. And so when she feels Libby is maybe pulling away or there's something wrong and Libby isn't telling her what it is... Nora's ready to do whatever she can to fix it, whatever it is. Yes. Libby really wants them to go on a sister's vacation to Sunshine Falls in North Carolina. This is the setting of the book Once in a Lifetime. Libby is the type of person who loves small town romances. And basically, according to Nora, her life is one, even though she lives in the city. (laughs) Nora has cast herself as the evil ex-girlfriend of a small town romance. (laughs) (laughs) love it the workaholic emotionally unavailable hot and polished (laughs) woman who always gets dumped you know what she kind of reminded me of who you know the enchanted movie idina menzel's character yes that's who i kind of (laughs) pictured yeah i could see that (laughs) yeah she's that one who always gets dumped by her boyfriend once he goes back to his hometown or whatever the fuck he's doing and meets this fresh small town girl who shows him what life really means yes and then calls his girlfriend up and dumps her ear on the phone (laughs) if she's lucky she gets that (laughs) yay i guess i don't know nora doesn't really want to go to Sunshine Falls. She's not a small town girl. She freaking loves New York. I think that's probably her second love after her sister is New York. (laughs) Yep. Part of it is just how it fits into her lifestyle. Part of it is all the memories of her mother and growing up there. There, There's a lot of reasons. She has her community there. That's her people. I like the part where she said something like, in New York, where you're never the weirdest person in the room. I was like, that feels like a fucking challenge. And I accept. <laughs> I love it. 
<laughs> I forget the way the author phrased it, but there was there were several parts where she's like, you know, if you're able to lose it in front of a complete stranger <laughs> on a subway, <laughs> then you're a New Yorker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, the rest of the New Yorkers don't seem to care. They give you the privacy no. that they feel like either A, you want, or B, they just don't want to deal with you. Either way, I can respect that. Yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, when you live really close to people, you kind of pretend they have privacy. Oh. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of like living in an apartment building, you know? <laughs> yeah. People didn't understand when I moved to a small town. Like, they're they're like, oh, you grew up in an apartment building. Oh, what were your neighbors like? I don't know. I never met them. I never talked to them. Didn't wave at them. Vaguely know what a couple of them look like. (laughs) But in a small town, people think that's weird because everyone knows everyone. Yes, or they try to. (laughs) At least that's my experience. (laughs) Nora agrees to the Sunshine Falls trip. Again, she's like, okay, this is going to fix it. This is going to make Libby happy. I will do literally anything to make Libby happy. Mm-hmm. When they get there, they stay at this perfect, gorgeous little small town cottage. It's called Good's Lily Cottage. Good with an E, I guess it's the last name of the owner. And they have to kind of walk the last bit to the cottage because the road doesn't go all the way up the hill. <laughs> <laughs> and Nora, she wears heels. She's one of those people. <laughs> So, you know, she's aerating the lawn as she goes up this hill. Yikes. <laughs> Libby is tired because she's five months pregnant and she's growing a living human. She promptly falls asleep. Nora goes out on the town in search of food. Well, first she tries to get delivery and she realizes the only place that delivers is pizza. And she doesn't want pizza. She wants something else. This is why she likes New York, because you can get other food delivered. What other food is there than pizza? once she gets to the town proper she's noticing that while the buildings seem very similar to how they're described in the book once in a lifetime the insides of them are disappointing this is not a thriving lively town this is a dying town yes it's very cute but it's run down it doesn't really have industry as far as i can tell that's supporting it whatsoever so these are people who've lived there their whole lives and their children and their children's children. Yeah. A generational thing. I think that's common in other small town romances. It's as common a trope as the crappy father. It's like if it's a small town, oh, they have business issues. Yeah, I think it's grounded in reality too. Yep. Yes, ma'am. The small town I lived in kind of reminded me of this, only not as pretty. at least sunshine falls is pretty (laughs) Nora is searching for a place to find sustenance and she's struggling especially because they're vegan too oh yeah they're vegetarian right (laughs) I thought they were vegan oh okay maybe it's vegetarian I could be wrong they're looking for food. <laughs> I think they're I think they're vegetarian because they eat pizza. I can't imagine them getting a vegan small town pizza. No, probably not. That may have been a concession. <laughs> like this is as close as we can get. <laughs> At least they didn't kill the animal for the food. Okay, but 
most of the businesses are either closed or empty or don't look like somewhere she would want to go. She happens to find finally a coffee shop that looks maybe a little more lively than any other place she's seen on her walk. And as she kind of single-mindedly heads into the coffee shop, she pretty much runs into this extremely gorgeous hot guy. Tall, blonde, green eyes, muscular, smile that just lights up your world. You know, that type of guy. Mm-hmm. And she's just like, huh, that's interesting. <laughs> he holds the door open for her. He's grinning at her. She's thinking to herself, kind of, it's pretty meta, I feel, in Nora's head. She's like, oh, this is that small town trope. I'm supposed to hook up with this guy, but eh, I'm going to go and get coffee instead. (laughs) It's like the character versus the author. I see what you want me to do, but I'm going to do this other thing. Yeah. No, God, I said no. (laughs) I told you I am not that kind of girl. But when she gets inside, (laughs) she sees another gorgeous guy at the counter. She's checking this guy out. He's not godlike gorgeous like the first guy, but he's very attractive and she's into it. And then she realizes he looks a lot like Charlie. You know, that jerky editor. (laughs) What? (laughs) She can't quite tell. (laughs) She's like, yeah, no, it. Why would Charlie be here, though? I mean, everybody's supposed to have a doppelganger. (laughs) Maybe this is doppelganger Charlie. Nora is the type of woman who's like, okay, well, I can't just go up and see if it's him. I have to be covert. (laughs) So she finds his work email on her phone. Go on with your ninja self. And she sends him a snarky email Thinking, oh, well, if he's out of town, I'll get like an out of office message back or something like that. But instead, it looks like the man that she's looking at receives a notification on his phone. He looks at his phone and he types for a minute and he puts his phone away. And then she gets a reply to her email. (laughs) And she's like, oh, shit. (laughs) At this point, she's pretty sure it is him. But for some reason, she can't help herself and she sends him another message. It's a joke about like a Bigfoot erotica book that maybe he would be interested in editing. (laughs) He replies that he's curious. (laughs) She sends him a link to a Bigfoot erotica book. He replies that it's 99 cents. She Venmos him a dollar. (laughs) He returns the dollar with a message saying he can buy his own Bigfoot erotica. Thank you very much. (laughs) it's a crazy fever dream (laughs) finally he's distracted by the counter it's time for him to give his order and so she runs the hell out of that store back to the cottage where she's staying and we flee oh my god it was so funny i know I'm not going to do any of the funny justice. It is so funny. You have to read it for the funny. Yes. So much laugh out loud. The banter and snarkiness between these two (laughs) is off the charts. And it has like this interesting extra bit to it because Nora is so self-aware. Mm-hmm. Like, (laughs) 
<laughs> she's constantly judging everything by tropes because she's a literary agent. She lives by the tropes. She dies by the tropes. <laughs> she sees the world in trope. And this is a book in a genre filled with tropes. So you have this fun meta nature <laughs> to the humor as well. Uh, when Nora gets back, she ends up ordering pizza after all. <laughs> Libby wakes up. She tells her about the Charlie slash email debacle. Libby thinks it's kind of hilarious and mortifying. <laughs> and then they decide to have a Hepburn night. Woohoo! Catherine Hepburn, not Audrey. This is uh, another ritual that they've kept alive from when their mother was around every once in a while they'd have a night in where they kind of did i think like a self-care night mm -hmm. that's what it's turned into and of course they have to watch hepburn films because why not of course they are amazing i should probably bring up the checklist okay at some point before now <laughs> libby presents nora with this checklist of things that they're going to do in sunshine falls it's kind of a list of small town romance tropes in a way. And it's also kind of a list of Libby's missed opportunities because she gave up multiple type of career options and things that she was interested in when she got married and became a mom. Nora can't say no to a checklist. It <laughs> was like hmm. her kryptonite. Sounds like someone I know. <laughs> what? <laughs> nothing <laughs> i like a good list <laughs> i like that dopamine spike you get when you check it off you know yay dope <laughs> my brain does not have enough dopamine and i need more <laughs> gotta get it where i can well that's yay checklist but this checklist has stuff on it like go skinny dipping at a local watering hole Go on two dates with small town guys, ride a horse, save a small town business. <laughs> <laughs> Some of these things, uh, Nora is like, yeah, no, you're not doing that, though. Like, you're pregnant. You can't ride a horse. They change it to pet a horse. They decide the date one is just for Nora, not Libby, because Libby's happily married, right? 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 She's happy, right? Yep. So fucking happy. <laughs> Nora is still freaking worried about Libby. Part of it is this list. She's like, uh, is this a way for Libby to see what she missed out on? What What is going on? I don't understand. Yeah, she feels like there's an agenda, but she can't quite figure out what it is. No, she <laughs> she's not sure what it is. And she's worried. She's <laughs> She's fearing the worst. Whatever the worst is, she doesn't know, but she's fearing it. That night, Nora has trouble sleeping. She's kind of a night owl anyway. She doesn't sleep well away from home. So she stays up. She sits outside. She's looking at the stars. She's getting eaten alive by mosquitoes. <laughs> and she shares some more snarky email banter with Charlie. Yay! Apparently he purchased the Bigfoot book. <laughs> and has things to say. <laughs> <laughs> Nora, she prizes herself on her professionalism, but for some reason she isn't able to maintain that with Charlie. She just lets herself be real with him, which she doesn't really do with anyone. No, except for maybe Libby. Kind of even not with Libby. 
I mean, maybe Libby, but kind of not. Yeah, the closest might be Libby, but still. Yeah. Well, because she also doesn't want to let Libby be an adult. Because she's not going to let the negative... She doesn't want to burden Libby with her problems because she's protector woman. She wants to protect Libby from her problems. Mm-hmm. Charlie reveals that other editors refer to Nora as the shark. <laughs> Nora is kind of disturbed by this. She really has let herself think too much about what other people think about her outside of her realm of protection. Yeah, no, I don't think so either. Charlie seems to think it's hot. <laughs> Whatever you're into, dude. <laughs> <laughs> he tries to get her to admit that once is not as good as this other book Dusty wrote, but Nora won't even agree with him, even though she does agree with him. The emails get a little personal. He apologizes for being too blunt, I think, when they first met. And then says apparently he doesn't make the best first impression. And she's like, yeah, me too. And she's like, actually, I'm extremely punctual. And that day I was late, I'd just gotten some bad news. That's probably the closest to an apology that he's going to get. <laughs> he says he didn't care that she was late. He says he missed a flight because a platinum blonde shark wanted him dead. <laughs> it's very flirty, but also like poke poke. <laughs> yes. She says she would have only mauled him a little and have avoided his face. <laughs> he says he didn't realize she was a fan, presumably of his face. She's like, uh-oh, is this being flirty? Wait, pause. No. So she tries to deflect. He says goodnight. And she ends up going back to bed, trying to sleep while imagining him scowling at Bigfoot erotica. <laughs> Which is one of her favorite mental images now. And mine too, to be fair. <laughs> Charlie has been cast as a grumpy pants. He's really not a grumpy pants. I think he just presents that way to the uninformed. <laughs> <laughs> the next morning, Nora wakes up as one loves to do from a nightmare. Woohoo! She's filled with panic and anxiety. She has this recurring dream of her and Libby coming home to see their mom. Everything seems fine, except Nora suddenly gets this feeling that she's the only one who knows her mom is actually gone. And her mom leaves to make tea and then disappears. It's a crappy dream. She has it a lot. I have a quote where Nora describes how she feels about it. And that's when I wake up. Like if she can't be there, there's no point in dreaming at all. And that's kind of true for Nora. Like, she doesn't yeah. let herself have dreams. She doesn't let herself do things for herself. She's caught up in her web of responsibility and doesn't think about her own needs. The one person who was in charge of taking care of her was her mom. And she feels like, well, her mom was the one that gave her the safety to dream. And now that her mom's gone, she can't. Nora goes for a run to work it off. She has a, like a treadmill at home that she uses kind of <laughs> almost religiously, <laughs> but she does not have a treadmill at the cottage, so <laughs> she has to go for a run. Nora's goal for this trip is to fix whatever is wrong with her sister and fix this hole in their relationship. And on this run, she recommits. When she gets home, we realize exactly how far she's willing to go because Libby wants to do 
one of the things on the list, which is give each other a makeover, which includes dyeing and cutting each other's hair. And it's a surprise, like a surprise dye and cut. <laughs> yay? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it turns out to be yay. Nora dyes Libby's hair a bright pink. And at first she is concerned when she sees Libby's reaction, but Libby ends up loving it. The reason Nora picked pink is because she wanted to dye her hair pink when she was a little girl. Nora's hair has been dyed in ash brown, which is as close to her natural color that Libby could find. <laughs> <laughs> Libby says she always loved Nora's hair when they were kids. It's kind of sweet. It is sweet. Nora's hair is normally platinum blonde, so this is quite a departure for her. They walk to town for dinner. Nora is mentally preparing for Libby to be disappointed by the town. She's worried that, oh no, things will be bad because Libby's expecting the town from the book. And this isn't the town from the book. This is the rundown crappy version. Um, Libby doesn't seem to care that much, though. She's texting her husband, Brandon, and looking kind of upset, which, you know, in my notes, I have in all caps. Oh, no, must protect. Sends Nora into like this protective, ah, is there something wrong with Libby and Brandon's marriage? No, not that. <laughs> they find a restaurant called Papa Squats. <laughs> uh, em, I had to read that like three or four times before I realized it was like, oh, sit down, Papa Squat. Yeah, okay, oh. I get it now. <laughs> I was like, why would they name a restaurant that, though? I don't understand. <laughs> that question is still valid, but yes. <laughs> it's not a very good restaurant. Um, <laughs> it, it's adequate. <laughs> they get seated by this hostess who's like trying to tell them, yeah, no, don't order that. No, no, you actually don't want the salad. <laughs> You should probably get a burger. <laughs> the burgers are okay. <laughs> they get veggie burgers, which are apparently fine. Libby, being pregnant, has to go to the restroom while she's gone. Nora gets the first part of Dusty's newest draft in her email to send to the editor. This draft is called Frigid. <laughs> and the main <laughs> character is known as the shark. It happens to be a film agent. <laughs> And it's disturbingly like Nora. <laughs> Nora kind of has a meltdown at this point. She's struggling because this is a really fucking good draft. It's probably <laughs> Dusty's best work or one of her best works. <laughs> but this character is horribly like her. And she needs some reinforcement from Libby to, you know, talk her down, tell her, no, no. You're nothing like Nadine, Nora. It's okay. <laughs> She's single-mindedly hurrying to the bathroom. I need my sister. Ah! And she runs into Charlie, like literally, and starts to fall over and he catches her. It takes him a second, but he recognizes her. <laughs> like, oh, you. <laughs> she, of course, starts the conversation with, yeah, no, I'm not stalking you. I promise. <laughs> just what a stalker would say <laughs> he's like okay and she's and she's like yeah no really i'm not and he goes yeah that's more reassuring the more you say it <laughs> totally don't feel stalked 
She says, yeah, no, I'm not here because of you. This trip was all my sister's idea. Why are you here? And he's like, I'm from here. (laughs) Mind fuck. Ah! (laughs) What? But you're so city-fied. I don't understand. He picks up her phone off the ground. She ends up letting him read the draft, which is kind of a (laughs) no-no. She's in a vulnerable place. (laughs) And she's in a small town. He says it's exceptional. Because it is. She says it's humiliating. (laughs) Why can't it be both? Exceptionally humiliating. He says if they have to have this conversation, he wants a drink. (laughs) (laughs) I can't be sober for this. Not totally. (laughs) They're sitting at the bar when Libby sees them, and she doesn't know that that's Charlie, so she abandons Nora so she can hopefully check off number five from the list, which is go on dates with small town guys. You go, girl. I just gotta go home all of a sudden. Bye. <laughs> Libby is like the worst wing woman, I swear. <laughs> you don't abandon the friend without checking in first. <laughs> you just don't. Why? <sighs> you need to send the it's okay text first. I agree. But maybe Libby's also <laughs> like, well, it's my big sister. If anybody can take care of themselves, it's her. Which is true. But yeah. Maybe. Maybe. I, I yeah. don't know. Nora gets increasingly drunk at the bar (laughs) as her inebriation levels rise. The banter level kind of flips the switch to more flirty, depending on who you ask, I think. (laughs) Inhibition levels altered. Nora realizes that Charlie is hot. She's like, yeah, no, I noticed he was hot before, but now I think Charlie is hot. Like, now that I know it's Charlie, he's still hot. (laughs) Damn it. (laughs) She's still having an identity crisis about Nadine Winters, who's the character, the shark character. While they're talking, Charlie says he can read Nora like a book because she's just like him. First, Nora's like, yeah, hell no, we're not alike at all. And then Charlie says, quote, you're telling me that from the moment you stepped off the plane, you haven't been itching to get back to New York, feeling like you're an astronaut out in space while the world's just turning at a normal speed. And by the time you get back, you'll have missed your whole life. Like, New York will never need you like you need it. Nora's like, wow, he does get <laughs> Insightful. But she won't tell him that. She lies and says, no, I've been enjoying the peacefulness. It's great. He calls her out for lying. He says she has a lying divot near her mouth. You lying liarson. <laughs> but then she realizes, oh, ho, she can read him too. <laughs> She points out the reason he didn't like once is because he's from here. Charlie seems kind of uncomfortable by this revelation. (laughs) I don't like being called out. He's like, no, I like reading you. I don't like it when you read me. This isn't fun anymore. More drinking. He challenges her to pool. He says if he wins, she will tell him why she's really here. They continue talking while they play. Oh, there is a little bit of sexual tension because she's like, Oh, aren't you going to do that thing where you show me how to play pool? He's like, really? But he does, you know, the thing the guy does where he's kind of around the woman and adjusting the cue and whatnot. And then once she makes her shot and ends up being really good, she's all, haha, fooled you. I'm good at pool. <laughs> she goes off on why Nadine Winters has gotten under her skin. 
Quote, people don't want to work with sharky women. He interrupts that he does. She continues, and even men exactly like us don't want to be with us. I mean, sure, some of them think they do, but the next thing you know, they're dumping you in a four minute call because they've never seen you cry and they're moving across the country to marry a Christmas tree heiress. (laughs) It's my literary (laughs) stock character. I'm the cold-blooded, overly ambitious city slicker who exists as a foil to the good woman. (laughs) Every time she lets out one of these diatribes, bombs, whatever you want to call them, Charlie will say something like, oh, wow, there's a lot to unpack there. (laughs) And well, crap, now that she's said that, she might as well start spilling all her history. She starts listing off all the guys who dumped her for another woman She lists everyone except Jacob, the first guy. He does end up winning pool. They do like the best of three. She tells him the reason she's in town is because of her sister. And she tells him about the checklist. And she starts listing off things on the checklist. (laughs) Because why not? (laughs) Why not? And he says, well, it sounds like your sister's trying to give you your own small town romance. Things start getting more personal. They start talking about their families. Things start getting intimate. Maybe they're going to kiss. It looks like they might kiss. But nope, nope. It starts raining. It wakes Nora up. She's like, yeah, no, I'm not doing this. I got to go. Bye. (laughs) The equivalent of a natural (laughs) cold shower. (laughs) Emotional intimacy. (laughs) No, I didn't like it. Charlie walks her back to her cottage, which we learn is his parents' rental property. There's no escaping, Charlie. (laughs) The hill is muddy and she's wearing heels and he insists on giving her a piggyback ride up to the cottage. It's humiliating yet also kind of sexy because she realizes he wears the same cologne as her. (laughs) And it smells good on him. (laughs) And when they get to the door, they're standing outside and he says she should take number five off the list. You don't want to get some pig farmer's hopes up. (laughs) She's like, rude. (laughs) He says, quote, rude is declaring the entire dating pool of New York City tainted just because you managed to pick four assholes in a row. She says, don't tell me I hurt your feelings. (laughs) (laughs) The sexual tension is ramping up. He says, we surly monochromatic literary types don't have those. (laughs) And then he kisses her. Ha, there's a kiss. This kiss is ramping up. It's getting hot. It's getting exciting. Maybe they're going to do it against the wall of the outside of the cottage. Who knows? She manages to let out kind of a half-hearted, no, wait, (laughs) this might not be a good idea. But he happens to hear it and he stops because consent is a thing. Hey. He's like, yeah, no, actually, I can't really get involved. And she cuts him off with, no, it was a mistake. She's worried that... This will hurt her reputation. She doesn't want her professional reputation to be ruined. He's essentially a colleague. The literary world is a small town of its own, apparently. She doesn't want it to be a thing. She's not even prepared to listen to why he would say he can't get involved. It's more, I don't know, part of it is maybe even like, no, you can't reject me. I'm rejecting you. (laughs) I don't know. There's a lot going on there, but it ends up with this conversation where they agree to, let's just pretend this never happened. No, this, this is false. (laughs) It did not occur. The next morning, Nora and Libby discuss this kiss. Libby declares that Charlie does not count toward number five because 
he's just like every other guy Nora has already dated. And Nora doesn't really agree with that. She doesn't think Charlie is like every other guy she ever dated because Charlie's kind of honest to a fault and just different. He's like her. Mm -hmm. But she's mired in her own I made a mistake headspace. So they don't really go there. Nora needs to find some Wi-Fi. The internet at the house where they're staying is pretty much non-existent. She goes to the coffee shop first. Surely they have internet at the coffee shop. One might assume. Instead at the coffee shop, they have signs saying like, we're unplugged. (laughs) Nora's like, ah, no, (laughs) bad. (laughs) She learns that the bookstore has internet. So she goes there. Charlie happens to be there at the counter. Like he's working there or something. He sees her. He tells her, oh, I was just emailing you. He mentions that he heard that Dusty's normal editor has gone out on pregnancy leave early and he wants to edit Dusty's new book. He wants it, especially Mm. after reading that snippet at the bar. He wants Nora to convince Dusty to work with him. Nora's like, no, I must protect Dusty. She is the precious Dusty. You may not hurt her. (laughs) She is my precious. (laughs) She agrees she will talk to Dusty, but she's like, no, if she agrees to this, your notes go through me. He's like, okay, fine. He doesn't really like it, but he gets it. And Dusty does agree, like after a couple days. She's like, oh, okay, yeah, I trust you. Charlie reveals that he's secretly working two jobs right now. One is his regular editing gig. And then the other is this bookstore that his parents own. Because of course they do. Mm -hmm. And it's called Good Books with an E on the end of good. (laughs) I sense a theme. Later, Libby meets Nora at the bookstore, and she loves the store, but not that Nora has spent all day working instead of trying new things. She's like, excuse you, Nora, we are not working on this vacation. That's not what we need to do here. Nora says, I can't take an entire month off of work, Libby. I need to work at least until five every day. But after that, I'll be yours. I will be fully present. Libby's like, fine. Libby suggests that they make the bookstore their number 12, which is save a local business. Nora's like, um, sure. Okay, (laughs) whatever you want, Libby, because I will do whatever you want. Mm -hmm. Over the next few days, they settle into a bit of a routine. In the morning, they have breakfast together. And then Libby gets nine hours of alone time while Nora goes to work at the bookstore, which is the only place with Wi-Fi. Libby guards the secret of what she does during her alone time super well. She refuses to tell Nora what she's doing during the day. Nora thinks that's kind of weird, but she's also like, okay, well, you know, she's not used to having time to herself because she's the mother of two. It must be that. Everything else is okay, right? (laughs) Right? Right. At some point around this time, Nora suspects that the reason that Libby's unhappy is because her apartment is too small. And she knows Libby won't let her give her any money to increase her budget. So she starts looking for budget-friendly apartments for Libby and her family to move into. She thinks this is going to fix everything. She doesn't share this with Libby because why would she? It's not like Libby's a grown-ass woman capable of solving her own problems. Nope. On Saturday, when Nora goes into the bookstore, Sally Good, Charlie's mom, is working the desk instead of Charlie. There's this awkward conversation that ensues because Sally is sweet and nice and friendly. It's like, oh, you must be the person who's renting my cottage. And 
Nora's like, oh, is that who you are? She pretends she doesn't know who the hell Sally is. <laughs> oh, it's so nice to meet you. I don't know that you're Charlie's mom. I sure don't. Sally's like, oh, well, I'll send my son by with some more firewood for the cottage later. Nora's like, yeah, no, that's not necessary. Sally's like, yes, it is. After Nora leaves, she gets a text from Charlie, which was an unknown number, asking why his mom is texting him about how hot she is. <laughs> they have texting banter. Sally is the type of mom who's like, oh, look, Charlie, I met this pretty woman. I should insert you into her life. Maybe you will get together. You like women that look like her, don't you? She's tall. <laughs> you like tall women, don't you? All right. One morning, Nora wakes up filled with anxiety, probably from that same dream. And she goes for another run. I have a quote here about how she's feeling. My throat starts to burn, but the fear is still chasing me. Maybe it's being here, feeling so far away from mom, or maybe it's spending so much time with Libby, but something is bringing me back to those things I try not to think about. It feels like there's poison inside me. No matter how hard I run, I can't burn through it. For once, I wish I could cry, but I can't. I haven't since the morning of the funeral. So we get a little bit more insight into Nora's psyche. Another reason she's emotionally unavailable is the mother's death. It kind of all culminates to this perfect storm that happened when she was like 20. She was in love, presumably for the first and only time in her life with Jacob. Her sister and her mom were totally on board with this. She moves in with Jacob. Things seem to be wonderful, but... Her mom dies. How does she die? Do you remember? I think she got sick. It may have been cancer, but I could be completely wrong. But the mom dies when Libby happens to be home alone with her and is trying frantically to call Nora. But Nora's phone is off and uncharged. She's busy with Jacob. When she does get her phone turned back on, she realizes what's going on. She meets her sister at the hospital and she realizes, you know, my sister needed me and I wasn't there. My mom died and I wasn't there. Ah, <laughs> no, <laughs> not good. <laughs> she ends up moving out of Jacob's apartment back in with Libby because she has to take care of Libby. Jacob ends up getting a writing fellowship in Wyoming, something he is really working on. So he moves away and then Nora goes to visit him and it's just not good. And it ends up with him breaking up with her and saying he met someone else. And Nora's just like, oh. And then around the same time, she gets offered this editor interview. She goes on one interview, she gets offered the second interview, and she doesn't do it because she realizes, I can't take the chance. I need to have this money to take care of my sister and pay off all my mom's bills. And this whole moment, I mean, I'm calling it a moment, but, you know, months worth of a moment, this period of time in her life, I think has caused a lot of trauma for Nora. <laughs> yeah. And she's buried it pretty deep. And there's a lot there. Like <laughs> there's the boyfriend who wasn't really there for her. There's the fact that she wasn't really there for her sister or her mom. And she doesn't ever want to feel this way ever, ever again. So anything that could remotely make her feel anything vulnerable, I think is just locked up tight. And when she goes on these runs, she's kind of running away from that feeling. I think that's why she's obsessed, or one of the reasons she's obsessed with her treadmill at home. Yeah, maybe. That's a good point. She's being chased by this monster that is inside her head, and she can't actually get away because the monster's inside her head. Oh, poor Nora. Yeah, it's pretty 
pretty crappy. And being away from home, even though she's with Libby, is kind of bringing all this feeling to the forefront because she's not where she's used to being. She doesn't have the stuff she's used to having. She's not fully in control. What will happen if things go wrong? How will she protect? (laughs) How will she fix? When Nora gets back from her run, she discovers that Libby has made her a dating profile. Yay! And has set her up with someone named Blake for that night at Papa Squat's. Lucky her. I'm like, oh, dude, Libby, why? Well, it's on the list. (laughs) Boundaries, girl, boundaries. (laughs) Nope. So having finished the book, we have a little bit more insight into why Libby might be doing this. (laughs) Because she has her own motives, right? Mm -hmm. She wants Nora to find love in Sunshine Falls. Because that will give Nora a reason to stay in Sunshine Falls. Mm-hmm. And Libby's planning to stay in Sunshine Falls. <laughs> yep. But we don't know that at this point in the story. And so we're kind of along with Nora, just going, huh? Why though? <laughs> of course she goes on the date because Libby wants her to. It will make Libby happy. Libby goes with her to make sure things are safe, but... They don't go in together. When Nora gets to the table where Blake is, the first words out of his mouth are, wow, you're really tall. You don't say how tall you are on your profile. (laughs) Nora's like, I didn't realize that would be a problem. (laughs) Blake apparently has lied about his height and seems insecure because Nora is taller than him. Suck it up, buddy. (laughs) (sighs) She sits down. He asks about her shoe size. Nora orders drinks. (laughs) i know what will help with this me getting drunk (laughs) (laughs) or at least not being quite so sober we've established that i'm a giantess with humongous feet why are we still here blake (laughs) she's bigfoot blake wants to be really thorough and make sure that she's truly not the woman for him and starts asking her about (laughs) all the food that he would like her to be able to cook she's like yeah no i don't cook though He's all, well, what about this? No, I don't cook at all, though. But I order really well. I just don't cook. (laughs) While she's suffering, Charlie walks in, sees her, smirks, and then goes to the bar. (laughs) Nora is like, yeah, no, I need my sister. She says to Blake, oh, I need another drink. And then she goes to the bar. She's looking for Libby, but Libby has left. Again, worst safety partner ever. (laughs) This is not what we want when we go on blind dates and bring our friends. That's not what we want from the friend. (laughs) Again, a you good text would work wonders here. (laughs) Charlie starts talking to Nora at the bar. We learn that apparently he was feeling rejected when she said wait, because he tells her he had no interest in being number five on her list. And that's why he said, no, he had no interest in being involved. Nora says, oh, well, you don't even qualify for my list because you're not a small town boy or a city boy. She realizes she inadvertently let slip that she actually wanted to kiss him. (laughs) Like it wasn't for the list. And he has a look on his face like, oh, crap, I messed up. (laughs) Nora does not want to continue her date with Blake. And she doesn't really want to end her date with Blake. She just wants to leave. Charlie helps her escape out the back door of the bar, and they go get dinner together at the Italian place. (laughs) 
I didn't feel bad for Blake at all. We don't hear anything else about him in this book. We don't need to. (laughs) While at dinner, they talk more about each other's lives, past, families, how they got where they are now, etc. They make a bet that she's going to finish everything on the list. And if she does, he will sublet his rent-controlled apartment to Libby. Because, of course, Nora's like, I still need to solve Libby's problem. Yes. (laughs) This apartment should fix it. Charlie insists on walking her back to the cottage. On the way, she sees a, quote, local watering hole (laughs) and decides she's going to tick number six off the list, a.k.a. skinny dipping. (laughs) (laughs) She's been drinking again. I mean, (laughs) but she strips butt naked, gets in this pond, I guess. She kind of goads Charlie into joining her. They start making out while naked in the water. Nora's like, no, wait, we have to talk. No, actually, let's just keep going. I like this. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. And then her phone rings. She's thinking, oh, shit, I was supposed to call Dusty hours ago. Oh, no, responsibilities. <sighs> the spell has been broken. Nora checks her phone. There are increasingly worried messages from Libby trying to check in. There's message from Dusty. Her brain is going, they needed me and I wasn't there. <sighs> Just like before. Nora tells Charlie she can't afford a distraction right now. And he says, you're right. I don't know why it's so hard for me to accept that this can't be anything. (laughs) A little salty there. (laughs) (laughs) Just a wee bit. The next morning, she's on another run and she runs into the super hot coffee shop guy from earlier. Hmm. They talk. He's flirty. He offers to show her around if she wants. It's very small town romance. We have very meta thoughts from Nora. Oh, I could just go along with this. My life will be different. Later, she talks to Libby about her horrible date and the skinny dipping with Charlie. And Libby has been apparently talking to Sally about sprucing up the bookstore. Brendan texts Nora asking if Libby is okay. Nora's worried. Why are you texting me and not your wife? (laughs) Libby says to tell him that she'll call later. Nora's like, no, they're not fighting, are they? They're in love. Their life is perfect together, right? (laughs) No. Libby talks Nora into helping her clean the bookstore all day and then going shopping in the nearby town for secondhand furniture for the bookstore cafe. Then she takes Nora to a town hall meeting where Charlie is also in attendance. He, of course, sits near them, and he and Nora discuss Dusty's drafts and agree on basically everything. (laughs) Because they're two peas in a pod. The next day at the bookstore, Nora sends Dusty Charlie's edited notes, and Dusty seems really excited about the feedback, so things are going well on that front. While she's working, she turns and sees Libby outside shouting while on the phone, and then she storms off. And then Nora gets a text from Libby that she has some errands to run and will see her at eight. No, what is wrong? I cannot fix if you do not tell me what it is. You must give me the info so I can fix. Nora is desperate for info. She texts Brandon and asks if Libby got back to him and he says yes. She's like, ah, (laughs) I can't text him anything else. Libby will be mad. (laughs) She's so distracted by her thoughts and she ends up leaving slightly after five instead of five on the nose like normal and runs into Charlie on her way out. And while they're kind of sniping at each other, the gorgeous farm boy from earlier shows up too to drop something off. And Nora notices there's some sort of uneasiness between Charlie and farm boy, aka Shepard. 
Shepard is really flirty with Nora. Nora turns to look at Charlie. Charlie's already left. Well, crap. Nora takes Shepard up on the tour he mentioned earlier. <laughs> this is some small town romance shit right here. He takes her to see a gorgeous view near a gorgeous house he's building. He asks her to dance. It's romantic. There's like a little piece of Nora that's floating away with all this while the rest of Nora is just like kind of, I guess, off in La La Land. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Shepard goes to kiss her and then Nora turns her head and says, actually, I need to get back to my sister. Shepard's like, oh, okay, well, here's my number. (laughs) Call me, please. And he takes her back to the cottage. Once she's back at the cottage, Libby refuses to tell Nora about her errands. And Nora realizes, oh no, this wall, it's back. This chasm, it's bigger. I don't like this. Uh Uh-oh. She tries to say, oh, well, we should video call Brendan. Libby's like, no. The next morning at the bookstore, Charlie is there waiting to comment on Nora going out with Shepard. Because he's jealous. Then Amaya, who's Charlie's ex that works at the bar, shows up. And asks him, are we still on Friday? Now it's Nora's turn to feel jealous. She starts jumping to conclusions. (laughs) Oh no, Amaya must have broken up with him and now wants him back. There must be something going on between them. That's why he said he couldn't do anything with me. That's why he had reservations. Okay. Charlie is kind of avoiding Nora. We don't really know why. I think it's because he's trying to be good you know he has his own reasons for not starting anything with her and he realizes that anytime he's with her he can't help it yes he's trying to help it yeah i'm avoiding (laughs) that's healthy behavior right (laughs) avoidance totally but we don't know and i don't think we ever find out that's just my assumption nora doesn't like this shocking i know but she misses him So she finds him in the office of the bookstore and says they need to talk out their editing notes in person. And he's like, okay, fine. They agree to meet at the library tomorrow. It's actually kind of funny because he's like, okay, I'll rent a room. And she's like, um, excuse you. (laughs) And he's all, no, a study room at the library. (laughs) I'll reserve a study room. (laughs) Libby takes Nora to a local theater presentation of Once in a Lifetime, and it's hilariously bad. (laughs) This scene in the book is really funny. Um, I'm not going to do it justice, but (laughs) one of the characters who's like an old man is played by a child and the person playing his wife or whatever is actually like an older woman and (laughs) they play it totally straight. It's just really funny. (laughs) Nora and Libby leave to go have a laugh about the play and they run into Sally and her husband Clint and she invites them over for drinks and pie. Apparently, every time something goes on in the community, they have drinks and pie and dish it out and (laughs) pretend they liked it. (laughs) As they arrive for pie, Nora makes a joke about Brendan, and that makes Libby kind of lock up a bit. This sends Nora into a bit of a spiral. Wait, you still love Brendan, right? (laughs) Right? Is everything okay, Libby? You know you could tell me anything. You can tell me anything. Libby insists everything is fine. (laughs) Sally welcomes them in and lets them know the rule where they typically pretend the show is good until they've had a few drinks at least. (laughs) Shepard is there. So is Charlie. Turns out they're cousins. Huh? Yay. Shepard has to leave because he's an early riser, (laughs) but he invites her to a trail ride and she says, oh yeah, I'll I'll call you. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Sure. 
I felt awkward now. Libby and Nora end up talking to Sally. It turns out Sally is an amazing artist and basically made it in New York until she realized it was all a game. She didn't like it and she moved back home. Libby completely relates to this. This is where we learn that Libby's perspective of their childhood is completely different from Nora's perspective of their childhood. She starts talking about their mom and how she was an actress who was always tired and broke. This is the opposite of Nora's memories. (laughs) Libby says their mom put her career ahead of everything else, and Nora is just like that, and this trip is basically an intervention from Nora. (laughs) JK, (laughs) but not really. (laughs) (laughs) Nora has another, like, meltdown or personality crisis. Yeah, no. Her response to this is, run away, I must be alone. I need time to process. Her thoughts are basically, quote, For weeks, I've worried about how people will see me once Frigid hits the shelves. But Libby, Libby's the only person who's ever really known me. And this is how she sees me? Like a shark? (laughs) No, not Libby. Anyone but Libby. It hurts and it sucks. And she's like, am I a shark? I don't know. (laughs) She ends up finding Charlie's childhood room. She's kind of Checking it out, I think, to distract herself. Charlie finds her and he gives her the best pep talk ever. (laughs) It's so good. It is. (laughs) He seems to truly see her and how much she cares. He sees the fighter in her, the protector woman, and he reassures her. And we have more, it's not physical intimacy, but it's emotional intimacy. There's a lot of that in this book. Like they get together and they talk and it's just really quiet and personal and huh. And then all of a sudden, you know, the moment breaks again. Nora realizes that Libby's been looking for her and it's time for them to leave. The next day, Nora and Charlie meet at the library for their editing session. They have a thinly veiled conversation about how Nora gave up her dream job to provide stability to her sister and brother-in-law. Nora decides, you know what, I'm going to try it. And she lets him know she's interested and she's not worrying about the future anymore. She wants to see what the present can be like with him. Charlie's like, hell yeah. We proceed to furious making out in the library study room. It's so wonderful that Nora is late to meet Libby at the coffee shop later. While she's on the way there, she tries to call Shepard to let him down. She feels kind of guilty about leaving him hanging. But she accidentally calls this other number that Sally had given her to give to Libby later. And it's the number to a divorce lawyer. Uh Uh-oh. Nora's like, no! (laughs) My worst fears. (laughs) No. Nora realizes that the reason she works so hard is because she doesn't want the past to happen again. And she realizes that Libby has been needing her this whole time and she didn't know it. And so she recommits again (laughs) to her project. Fix everything for Libby. I will commit harder this time. Therefore, it will work. (laughs) Let's keep doing what we've been doing, Nora. It's working out great for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when Nora meets Libby at the coffee shop, she tells her, Libby tells her about her idea to throw a fundraiser to save the bookstore. And she wants Nora to see if Dusty will do a virtual Q&A and have some signed books available to sell. Nora's like, I'll ask because I'll do anything for you, Libby. And Dusty is on board. So that's good. Yay. Yay. Charlie and Nora go off to Target. And buy camping stuff 
for another item on the list. I liked that they have a target red in this book. <laughs> I thought you'd enjoy that. <laughs> like, oh, it's Target. I love Target. <laughs> Not sponsored. <laughs> Charlie tells Nora more about his growing up and his parents. So apparently, and I didn't write all this down, so let me know if I'm wrong, Em. Oh, no. Uh Apparently, Charlie's mom, as we know, was a painter, and she was dating some big shot in the city and realized, no, this isn't what I want for my life. And she goes home to the small town of, where the fuck are they? Anyway, she goes back home, and she ends up reuniting with Clint who I think was her first love or something. And they get married, even though Clint had already been engaged, I think, and ended up breaking off his relationship to be with Sally. And Sally was already three months pregnant. Yeah. With Charlie. So Clint isn't Charlie's biological dad, although he is totally his real dad. Yep. And is a great dad. But as a result, Charlie has always kind of felt like he doesn't really fit in. There was a lot of small town nastiness surrounding the situation with Sally and Sally getting together with Clint and just a lot of bad blood and gossip. Apparently Sally was like some whore that ruined Clint's life. I don't know. Charlie, of course, gets told all this when he's a child because his parents didn't want him to know. Yeah. I think it was unfortunate that his parents didn't have the foresight to realize that, hey, he's going to get told somehow. You should probably tell him first. Yeah. At any rate, you know, we all make mistakes trying to protect our kids, I guess. So Charlie has always struggled in this town. He never felt like he fit in. He didn't really like to be there. He didn't really have the same interests as his dad. And although Clint is super supportive with... Charlie, like once he finds out what Charlie's into, he is all about it. You know, he does his best, even if it's not something he understands or likes. He's like, yes, I'm on board. I want to be here for you, son. So he's a great dad. He's awesome. Mm -hmm. But once Charlie moved to New York, he's like, oh, this is where I was meant to be. (laughs) He also, I guess, dated Amaya for a while Before he moved to New York, he had like this whole idea that they were going to stay together, but she always thought they were going to move back home. And he's like, yeah, no, I don't want to move back home. I don't like it there. (laughs) So they broke up because of that. And she apparently dated his cousin Shepard for a while afterward, which is probably why Charlie is a little weird around Shepard sometimes. Yeah. So we get a lot of info about Charlie. Nora tells Charlie more about Libby kind of the same as what we've been discussing you know she is the son of my life (laughs) i don't know (laughs) she is she is my project she is my responsibility i must protect her at all costs she is the precious (laughs) the stuff they got at target was for camping in the yard um so like a tent and stuff and charlie helps her set it all up and then when libby gets back she's excited Oh, yay, you guys decided to help do something else on the list. And because of that, she decides Charlie's okay and she likes him now. (laughs) So we've got some more working on the manuscript, some more flirtiness, some more things where, you know, over work email, they're professional and working on this manuscript. Over text, they're flirty and intimate, emotionally intimate. 
we learn, okay, three weeks have passed at this point. I feel like the time is a little weird in this book because they originally said they were going to be there for four weeks. And at this point in the book, okay, we get the three week marker. But prior to that, there's some mention of weeks. And it just sounds like a lot longer than two weeks. And I just, I don't know. Yeah. I feel like there's an extra week in there that the author forgot about. Maybe. (laughs) I, I don't know. And I guess I have like kind of a fixation on time. I noticed this the other day when I was editing one of our other episodes. Um, uh-huh. And I always talk about the time and how it passes or doesn't pass or how I don't understand what time it is or whatever. <laughs> and I don't know, like it's weird because when I'm talking about the story on the podcast, time is kind of important. <laughs> I can see why time would be important from a reading perspective. I just feel like I have to have a sense of it. I don't need to know the nitty gritty. If it seems too fluid, then I have trouble keeping track of events. And sometimes with the progression of a relationship, you need to know how much time has passed because it's like, is it the next day or is it like three weeks from now that they're getting together? Yeah. So there's those kinds of things. But yeah, I mean, I can understand why it's important to you. I think it's kind of funny because I keep bringing it up. (laughs) Well, it's important to you. Ergo the bringing. (laughs) But yeah, no, you're right. I mean, I like to know at least I I like to at least have an idea. I don't need, you know, an itemized agenda or whatever. But when the book gives you a timeline, like this is going to happen within a month, you know, four weeks, Mm -hmm. this book takes place during this trip, then I feel like you kind of need to be a little bit clear about when you talk about, oh, weeks have passed, you know, because weeks could mean two weeks, but usually weeks mean more than two weeks. Maybe. I don't know. I think. Like if I say I haven't seen so-and-so in weeks. <laughs> yeah, that might be like the couple or the few. You know, like when somebody says a few of something, do they mean two? Do they mean three? Do they mean four? It might be one of those yeah. like gray areas where it depends on the person. I want a little bit more... um specificity i guess (laughs) when there is specifics in the first place yeah no that makes sense at any rate we know for sure now three weeks have passed so there you go (laughs) nora and libby are getting ready to go out to dinner with charlie when nora gets a call from sharon dusty's regular editor libby's a little salty because nora's taking a work call after five nora's like I need to do this. She goes off, talks to Sharon, finds out that there's apparently an opening for another editor if Nora is interested. I know you like editing, Nora, and while your thing is really cool that you're doing now, if you're interested, hmm, maybe. (laughs) Sharon doesn't say this, but Nora assumes that Sharon's not coming back to work after having her baby. After this call, Libby's still kind of... I don't know, kind of immature about this, I guess. She's just like, you told me you were going to take a call after five and blah, blah, blah. And Nora's like, look, it was important. I told you to stop, stop, stop. Libby won't stop. Yeah. Nora finally confronts her. She says, I can't help you if you don't tell me what's wrong. Libby's like, I don't want your help. And I don't want to be another excuse for you not to have a life. And then Nora says, if that were true... She'd be an editor right now instead of giving up her dream to help support Libby's first pregnancy. And I think the reason she let this slip, because Libby didn't know this happened. Nope. 
but the reason Nora lets it slip is because she's thinking she can't apply for this editing position now because of this crisis that Libby's having. <laughs> <laughs> Libby seems kind of shocked by this and passes out. Charlie and Nora take Libby to the hospital and Nora is a nervous wreck. She can't handle it. Charlie is there for her. He takes care of Nora. We learn that Libby is anemic. Uh-oh. Due to her pregnancy. And she's been aware of this and has been anemic with her prior pregnancies too, which she never told Nora about. The sisters have a talk. Libby tells Nora that she feels guilt when Nora prioritizes her like that. She says that their mom basically parentified Nora and made it her responsibility to help take care of Libby. And she doesn't need Nora to be her parent. She wants her to be her sister and not try to fix everything. And then she also wants to know that she can make it on her own too. Mm -hmm. All of that is valid. Nora's like, I don't like this, but I will try. I, I think she's still a bit reeling from the realization that Libby's view of their childhood is different from hers. Yeah. So Libby is fine. They get to go home. Everything's okay, guys. Yay. Libby even reveals that, you know, she has been secretly having to eat meat because of her anemia <laughs> and she didn't want to tell Nora because she didn't want Nora to be disappointed or something. I don't know. Uh, the whole reason Nora stopped eating meat was because Libby didn't want to eat meat. So well, I thought it was because meat was expensive. Oh, maybe that too. After their mom died, you know, they were on a very tight budget. So they were like, well, we don't need this. Uh, okay, it's finally time for Nora and Charlie to finish reading Dusty's book. Woo-woo. They're gonna meet up and read it together, separately, which was kind of cute. <laughs> the ending of the book is perfect. As they're discussing, they hear thunder and the lights go out. Nora tells Charlie that she understands if he doesn't want to date right now or something, but if it's something else, something else that's stopping him, she wants him to know that she thinks he's wonderful just the way he is. Like, she's worried maybe he feels some sort of personality defect, like he's not good enough or something. She wants to make sure that he knows, no, you are wonderful. I love you. Well, not I love you, but kind of, yeah, I love you. <laughs> Charlie reveals that he's not going back to New York, and that's why he doesn't want to start anything. He's staying to run the bookstore because his sister, who was supposed to take over the store, is actually going to stay in Italy. And he says that Libby can have his apartment because he's staying and the job opening that Nora heard about is actually his. It's very sad. Yeah. Nora like finally opens up to him and is like, oh, oh, you're leaving though. Or staying, you know. <laughs> oh. <laughs> she asks if she can have him just for tonight, even if they already know how it ends. And he says, well, you do have me. They finally have the sex and it's amazing. And Nora decides that no matter what else happens, that it's worth it just to live in the moment right now. That's a big thing for her. Um, <laughs> she never lives in the moment. So <laughs> the fact that she wants to be in the present with Charlie right now and screw the future is huge. Charlie asks her to stay the night with him and she tells him that she doesn't stay the night at men's places because she was staying at Jacob's when her mom died. She tells him about how she wasn't there when Libby needed her. And that she kind of wakes up with a panic attack if she's not where she's supposed to be <laughs> when she's asleep. Charlie is understanding and he says he's okay with whatever she wants to do. And she says, well, I want to stay, but I can't yet. This is the point where she realizes she's falling in love with him. Although she doesn't tell him she's in love. <laughs> 
Now it's week four. So when they planned this vacation, the first three weeks were supposed to be just sister time. And then week four, Libby's husband and their two daughters were going to come join them. So that's what happens on week four. Brendan shows up with the girls as planned. Nora seems to think everything between Libby and Brendan is fine. Look, they're totally happy. It's great. I was worried over nothing. It must have just been the anemia. (laughs) She's trying to reassure herself. (laughs) They go out to dinner in the city nearby. And then the next afternoon, Libby has a surprise for Nora. And the surprise is that she found a house in Sunshine Falls. And Brendan got a job in the nearby city. And Libby and her family are moving. They're not staying in New York. It's kind of uh, quinky-dink that she's learned that, (laughs) oh, Charlie's not staying in New York and Libby's also not staying in New York. Well, crap. (laughs) What about me? I think she has a lot of thoughts about what about me. She also feels kind of angry. Like, how could Libby leave the memories of mom behind in New York? But also, how could Libby leave me? Yeah. Am I not important enough for her? And she also realizes this must have been why Brendan kept checking in with her because he was waiting for Libby to tell Nora. And this whole trip, Libby had been not telling Nora, even though she wanted to tell Nora or was supposed to tell Nora. And Nora can't believe that Libby bought a house without even telling her. (laughs) Like, what the fuck? (laughs) Was this whole list like a sale? (laughs) Is that what you're trying to do? (laughs) Nora leaves. She's upset. She's sad. She's angry she has a lot of feels what even is home anymore (laughs) (laughs) she makes her way to the bookstore because she wants to be with charlie she doesn't want to be by herself charlie says he's got her she's not alone and nora finally 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 cries and she hasn't cried in like a million years so it's a big deal and she's so upset because she feels like even though she worked so hard and tried so hard and to be perfect and control everything the life she tried to build for libby wasn't enough she failed (laughs) She suggests to Charlie, well, maybe I could stay here too, then. Maybe? Charlie says that she should do what Nora needs for once. He realizes she's not going to be happy staying in Sunshine Falls. And, and he doesn't want her to make that choice for him or for Libby. He He's not going to push her to make that choice. Nora ends up staying with him that night and for once sleeps like a rock. Later, Nora and Libby talk it out. Libby apologizes for not telling her sooner. She'd been trying to win Nora over, like hoping that Nora would maybe move with them. Nora says, well, actually, I was asked to apply for another editing job. And Libby's like, oh, well, then you have to do that. Nora's like, yeah, but what if it doesn't work out, though? And Libby's like, well, you'll always have me. I'll take care of you like you always take care of me. Nora, I think, is finally realizing, oh, it's okay. I could do stuff for myself. And even though it's hard and scary, I'll be safe. Mm Mm-hmm. Libby can keep me safe the way I want to keep her safe. And she thinks, well, maybe it will be okay to have two homes. You know, she'll have her New York place where she works and lives and does her stuff. And then she'll have Libby, too. Mm -hmm. Charlie comes by and takes Nora for a walk. He tells her he wants them to try to be together anyway. They can take turns visiting. She comes out for holidays. He goes to her when she can't. She reaffirms, no, long distance doesn't work. It didn't work for me before with someone else. It didn't work for you before with someone else. He says, well, maybe it'll work when it's us. And she's like, well, maybe we should just enjoy the time we have. And then when I leave, that's it. She doesn't say it that way. It's actually really sad the way she says it and well written. But that's basically what she says. And then he's like, yeah, no, that doesn't work for me. You have to come up with something better than that. (laughs) 
But they decide, essentially, without deciding, that they're going to go on like they've always been together, and they're always going to be together, and that they're going to figure it out, and it's going to be fine. And Nora thinks, well, this is what it feels like to dream. Because she knows in her heart that it's not going to work out. That once she leaves, they're not going to stay together. Yet she's willing to enjoy the moment now. You know, be present in the now. Kind of be like her mom in a way, you know? Mm -hmm. However, eventually she feels like she needs to say the truth. This isn't going to work. Even though when we hang out and it's wonderful and perfect and fabulous and whatnot, as you know, because they're still spending the week together. It's not real, though. <laughs> Charlie's like, yeah, no, but don't say it yet. <laughs> Nora says she loves him too much to try to make it work. And he says he loves her too much to convince her she could be happy here. Hmm. So it's sad. They love each other, but it's over. Yep. As Nora is on her way out, on her w way to go home to New York. Clint talks to her, Charlie's dad. He says he's worried that Charlie won't be happy taking over the bookstore. And Nora says, well, Clint, you shouldn't act like Charlie isn't doing any good or can't help because he doesn't need you to make him feel like he's the wrong kind of person. Eh, 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 Clint. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're back in New York. Or Nora is. She does the interview. She kicks ass. She and Libby are spending a lot of time together before Libby's big move. And then... Libby and her family move away. Nora ends up getting the editing job. Her life is good. It's not great. I mean, it's not perfect, but it's good. She's happy with her job. She's happy to be back in her apartment. She's happy with a lot of things. And she and Libby, even though they're living further apart now, it feels like that gulf between them has shrunk. So it's no longer a thing. And it's now December 12th, which is their mom's birthday. And every year... She and Libby have this tradition where they go to this bookstore that they would always go to with their mom at 12 p.m. to celebrate. And she decides she's going to do it on her own this year. While she's walking to the store, Libby texts her to say that she sent her a present. Let me know when you get it. And when she's at the bookstore, she goes to pick up a book and someone grabs the same book she does. And it's Charlie. And she's like, what the crap? <laughs> Are you my present? What? He says that Clint, Sally, and Libby basically staged an intervention for him with a PowerPoint and everything called 12 Steps to Reunite Soulmates. <laughs> and Libby took over the store when he told his parents he was worried that he wouldn't be there to help them. His parents said, they are the parents and they just need him to be happy. And you're obviously not happy here. So he pitches to Nora that he moves back to New York and they are together and everyone is happy and he loves her. And it's a really good speech. And I paraphrased it and made it sound awful, but it's very sweet. <laughs> and Nora's like, yeah, that works for me. I like that. And then she kisses him and they share I love yous. And then we get an epilogue that's kind of an artsy sort of epilogue, but it takes place six months in the future and it shows like everyone's happy. The end. Yay. How was the audiobook? It was narrated by julia wellen and i believe she did the previous book that we read by her and she's a good narrator she did a good job good performance yay was she a good nora she was a good nora are you happy for them i am i think those crazy kids will make it <laughs> what about you 
Oh, yeah. No, I'm totally happy for them. Yay. <laughs> They're meant to be together. <laughs> yes. They will have good banter for years to come. <laughs> I do have to say, though, hmm. and this is going to sound awful coming from someone who hosts a romance podcast, but I kind of felt like it could have ended with them being apart and it would have been fine. Hmm. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> it would be really sad and horrible, but also make sense and be fine. I could see why that would make sense for the characters. But yeah, it'd be <laughs> a little hard to get away with in a romance book. <laughs> no, and and I'm glad that they're not <laughs> apart. Like, <laughs> as I'm going, it's like, I only have 95%. I'm like 95% in. <laughs> How are they going to fix this? Ah! <laughs> Don't do this to me, author. Why? <laughs> it seemed a little too easy that it happened off the page. But you know what? At the end of the day, I was like, you know what? I'm just, I'm just glad it happened. I kind of <laughs> figured it would resolve that way. So I was happy that it did. Yeah, I wasn't sure what was going to happen. Because, I mean, it makes sense. Like, when I think about it, yeah, Libby was interested in the bookstore anyways. And there's just all this other info and when you think about it after having read it okay yeah that makes sense this makes sense i think it was well crafted i think it was just like right at the tail end and i was like no <laughs> oh wait yes <laughs> <laughs> well how did you rate nora i rated her as awesome i really like the character of nora i like the journey that she went on she had to learn to let go that's a hard thing to learn and Therefore, you know, in letting go, she had she had room. She was brave. Anyway, what did you think? I really liked Nora, too. I also rated her awesome. I agree that she was brave. So I don't know if you were able to read the author's note in the audiobook or not, but there's an author's note at the end where the author talks about how she wanted to take this trope of the city girl that always gets left behind and write her story. And that's what Nora is, obviously. Mm -hmm. I love that that character, that stereotype got humanized in this story. And I think Nora was just a wonderful character because she cares so much about her sister and taking care of everybody. And she's so caught up in all that that she diminishes her own needs and her own desires and everything just so that she can make sure that her sister's okay. To the point that she's kind of trapped herself yeah, in that role and she's not quite sure how to get out of it. <laughs> yeah. And then when she meets Charlie, he, I mean, we learn really, he's the person who sees her for who she really is, even more so than her sister does. And I think that helps her realize, you know, I'm not bad for being different it's okay for me to prioritize my career it's okay for me to not want to have kids it's okay for me to be a woman in this way mm -hmm. she really embraces that and i think she really proves that she's figured it out when she decides to take that editing job finally because it shows that she's willing to actually risk something for herself instead of for one of the people she's protecting <laughs> How did you rate Charlie? I also thought Charlie was awesome. It makes sense that he wants to go be there for his family. But he also has to let go. And he has to encourage his family to let him go. So that way he can go live his life. Because, I mean, it's not like there isn't family around where they are. His parents aren't completely alone. 
Well, and they don't need him either. That's the thing that's interesting with Charlie's situation is that while I think he feels some guilt from his mom, that's why he makes the choices he does. His dad realizes that, you know, no, you're not going to thrive here. This isn't the best for you. And it's okay for it not to be. I think that a lot of the the responsibility that he feels is for his mom. Yeah. And wanting to live up to what she wants from him. And it's it's nice to be needed, right? And sometimes that's how we feel connected to the people that we care about is that they need us. Or we think that they need us. Yeah. And sometimes you have to realize that maybe they need us in ways that are less obvious. Like how we support them is showing that we know that they don't need us right there. Because it's a way of acknowledging, no, no, I know. (laughs) Like between the sisters, I see your competency as an adult and I will back off because I know that you have this. Yes. And mistakes may happen. Life is that. It is chaos. It is mistakes. And it's our navigating through it. But just because... A mistake happens doesn't mean you won't survive it. I mean, hopefully. There are those there are those situations too. <laughs> but for the most part, hopefully, <laughs> they're survivable. And yeah, that may mean yeah. things that things change, but that is life too. Life is changed, life is chaos. Yay. But yeah, I think both of them. I think that's where sometimes I think with romances, it's where characters see something of themselves in the other person and i think with with nora and with charlie that's what they saw is needing to be there for their families even if their families are like no no we're good (laughs) we love that you showed up that's great but we're good because i mean nobody wants to be seen as the burden right or the one that needs Well, there's that guilt even that Libby admits to feeling when Nora prioritizes her. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, Charlie's got his own letting go to do and that he is not the bad son or whatnot. He doesn't have to prove that he's the good son. They already know he's the good son. They already know that he cares. Thankfully, they know. I thought Charlie was awesome. I wish that we could be in Charlie's head. I want to be in Charlie's head. I want to know what he thinks. (laughs) But I thought he was very well written. I liked the insight that the author gave us into his thoughts and feelings, even though we weren't in his head. His expressiveness, his reactions to things that Nora says or does. (laughs) (laughs) He's very snarky with her, which I really liked. I appreciated his journey, too, and that he was willing to make tough choices, even if it sucked for him. You know, he doesn't want to be that person that Nora resents. So he's not going to do anything to make her resent him. And he recognizes that Nora has never picked anything for herself. And he's not willing to take that away from her now that she's finally maybe able to. Yeah. I think the the main lack for Charlie, and it doesn't really detract from his awesomeness. It's just something I wanted to see. And I can see why we didn't see it because we were never in Charlie's head. But that whole scene where he's convinced that, okay, actually, it's fine for me to leave too. Mm. I don't have to take care of my family. They're good. Mm -hmm. Why was it suddenly okay at that point? 
Yeah. I mean, he says, yeah, they had a PowerPoint and yeah, they had this whole plan mapped out and they somehow were able to tell him, yes, we're fine. And he was able to receive that. But we didn't see that. We didn't get that. And I feel because of that, it was like, well, it's believable that that could happen. But it's kind of unfortunate that we see it for Nora and not for Charlie. Yeah, it may have helped to be in his head a little better to get some more of that journey. So it it felt a little more like a natural progression or exp- or explained things or something. I, don't know. I mean, the way he explains it is good and it's tied up very nicely. It's just very short and we didn't see that happen for him. So the last point we see him is when he's willing to let her go and now he's wanting her back. I don't know. Like I said, it didn't detract from his awesomeness. It was just like, well, I think that's something that maybe the story could have had more of. Yeah, that makes sense. What about any antagonists or villains, Em? Um, <laughs> my villain list is... Okay, so Nora a little bit, I think. Just a little bit. Just a wee bit. I think she sort of acts as her own antagonist. But I really felt like Libby was... Yeah. Oh, all the gamesmanship. <laughs> Where it's just like, wow, you know, I know you've said this in other ones too. It's like, if they just talked, <laughs> she wants to do the nice thing for her sister. But I think in, in both sisters' cases, they just assume that the thing that's going to make the sister happy is the thing that's going to make themselves happy too. Like, they're projecting a bit. A bit, yeah. Like, Libby, don't you understand? Nora is not a small town girl. Like, she's <laughs> she doesn't. Like, that that's not her happy place. And just because you're going to be there doesn't mean that she's going to be happy there. She would be happier there with you because she loves you. But that's not who she is. And and vice versa. The sisters knew each other, but I feel like the story did this well. They knew each other as kids, but they did not take the time to learn who each other was as adults. I agree with that. Which happens at both ends with siblings and with parents. I mean, assuming that that's an option, but getting to know the parent as an adult and seeing them as a human adult Mm -hmm. and not who or whatever you thought they were as a kid. Yeah, that transitional period is hard. And I think that in the book, it was well done to show that they didn't make that transition until this point. Yeah, I mean, and, and they have. Yay. I am happy for both sisters. They both get to live in the places that they think they'll be happy. And hopefully are happy in. I thought it was delightful to see New York through, granted I know it's fictional, but through Nora's eyes. You know, a big city like that. And I mean, it makes sense. I mean, even in large cities, of course, there's communities and and connections and happy memories and things like that. Of course there is. It, it would be strange to think that there weren't. Wherever there are people, there will be those things. But yeah, I put Libby. <laughs> And I guess, I mean, to a lesser extent, Dusty, but I don't know. Maybe that's just because Nora felt personally attacked. (laughs) (laughs) What about you? I also have Libby (laughs) as the main antagonist. And I really liked Libby. And I really liked the story of the two sisters getting to know who they really were. I think that Libby was afraid to disappoint Nora. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's why she didn't want to tell her because she has realized that she's on this pedestal that Nora built for her and she doesn't want to fall off of it. Yes. 
that's a lot to live up to, to stay on that pedestal. Pedestals are dangerous things. And I think that she came up with a good plan. It was a manipulative plan. (laughs) Yeah, just a tad. (laughs) But I'm going to take you on a vacation and I'm going to make you fall in love with this place too. And then you will move here with me and then it'll be your idea and it's fine. Because Libby doesn't want to be on her own either. She wants to have her sister there and she wants her sister happy. She, I think, put a lot of judgment on her sister, too, based on her memories of her mother. Mm-hmm. She really projected a lot of those feelings she had about her mother onto Nora. Oh, well, she doesn't care about anything but work. But really, though, that's all you see? Yeah. And it's clear by the end of the story that isn't all she sees. But I think that that's like her main worry is that her sister is going to have the same sad life that she felt like her mother had. I think both sisters were worried that the other sister didn't live in the real world. I think so. Yeah. (laughs) And by the end, you realize, no, they both live in the real world because they're both adults. Again, that journey. They just approach adulthood differently. (laughs) They want different things. Yeah, and that's okay. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Yay, variety. Spice up the life. And then, to a lesser degree, I put Nora's ex, Jacob. Mm, right. And it's not really his fault. I feel like Nora was trying to fit this mold that she saw. This is what life should be like, according to my mom. And I idolize my mom. So therefore, I will try to fit. And then when she wasn't able to fit and life happened and Jacob was like, yeah, no, actually, I can't do this. She suffered a lot of trauma from that and it impacted her for like, what, like 15 years or something. Mm -hmm. So I think he was kind of an asshole, though, because it sounds like he basically found another person before he broke up with her. Yeah. And then he broke up with her like, oh, yeah, no, I replaced you. Bye. Yeah. And kind of selfish, too, because, oh, I'm happy when you're taking care of me, but (laughs) no, I can't take care of you. That's crazy. Yeah. (laughs) But it's not really Jacob. I guess it's more like the relationship with Jacob that's really the antagonist and the impact it had on Nora and the expectations that she set for herself and that relationship and how when it all backfired, it just hurt. Yeah. But yeah, I think antagonist-wise, we have effective antagonists. This isn't a book where people are really evil or anything, and that's good. I mean, for the story, I think it makes sense. Everyone's human. Yes. And I liked that. Both are fun. It's fun to have a villain, and it's fun to not. To have humans. Well, how did you rate the book? Well, I gave the book a five. So I laughed, felt things, died in a good way. Yay. (laughs) What about you? I rated it, well, in my head, I rated it a four and a half, but on Goodreads, I rated it a five. Oh, okay. (laughs) But no, I really enjoyed the story. I sat and read it in one sitting. I cried. (laughs) (laughs) I related. There was a lot that happened in the story that I related to, like the humanity of things that happened, Um, not to get too personal or anything. It was just really good. It was so good. I think really my major issue was that end bit. But we talked about that and I don't want to continue because I (laughs) freaking love this book. It's good. Well, on that note, did you feel romanced? Yeah. 
I thought it was great. I really loved the two characters together. I loved that they were so alike. Mm-hmm. I don't know that we've read very many books for the podcast where, you know, we have two peas in a pod like that. And I really enjoyed it. And I enjoyed how it was written and how they strengthen each other because they're alike, but different. Yes. <laughs> they're not identical. I thought that was really good. I really liked Charlie. I think he was a really fun character and really good for Nora. I really, really, really loved the emotional intimacy in this book. I think that the author did a really good job with showing the connection between the two characters and how they were able to be real with each other and how Nora allowed herself to feel safe to tell the truth with Charlie because he made it clear that that's all he wants is truth. And she just trusts him on that and it enables her to open up to him. And I just thought that was great. (laughs) What about you? Were you romanced? I was. I don't think that will surprise you. No, (laughs) I'm I'm not surprised, but I'm happy. (laughs) (laughs) I enjoyed falling in love with them. Aww. It was. It was a nice journey. I liked that it was kind of two stories in one because we get the romance between Nora and Charlie, but then we also get the sister love too. Yeah. I thought that was really, really good and well done. What else have you been reading? Well, I I haven't quite finished it. I'm about two thirds of the way in. Almost done. It's People We Meet on Vacation by Emily Henry. In this story, you have Poppy and you have Alex and they're besties and they go on vacation every summer till things get awkward because feelings that they, for their own reasons, are fighting slash ignoring and... Oh, no, they can't ignore them anymore. (laughs) You know, hijinks. Well, not hijinks, but... Romance. Yes. So I'm enjoying thus far. I've got about two hours left in the audiobook. Almost finished, but not quite. But enjoying, nonetheless. Oh, and for those who are interested in fictional kitty characters, there is a sassy kitty character. Minor role, but still there. Hey, I like fictional kitty characters. I know, hence the mentioning. Well... (laughs) What have you been reading? I recently finished Project Hail Mary by Andy Weir. Mm -hmm. It is a sci-fi not romance. (laughs) (laughs) It was freaking awesome. I actually did the audiobook and it was really well, well narrated. The main character, Ryland Grace, wakes up on this ship and has amnesia. He doesn't know what the fuck is going on. The story is told kind of in interchanging what's happening in the present and flashbacks. Because as he slowly regains memories, he starts to piece together why he's on the ship by himself. Hmm. And it turns out that he's actually on a mission to save Earth. Oh, okay. And he's not sure exactly how he's going to do that all by himself. But he realizes that maybe he's not all by himself after all. And I don't want to spoil it. It's so fucking good. Oh, my God. So I'm not going to say. But really well told. I don't often like flashbacks like that in books. But this, I think, really served a good purpose. Because as he's slowly regaining his memory, we get a flashback that's kind of appropriate to the memory that he's regained. Oh. And so the reader is gaining understanding as Ryland is. I thought it was a good method 
for the author to put us in Rylan's place a bit, where we don't know what's going on until he does. Yeah, that's good. It's always a tricky thing to do to sort of find good ways to limit a reader's understanding. Yeah. It's oh, a hard yes, thing to do. Definitely. That's why I think sometimes my default is, eh, don't keep it from him. <laughs> it's too difficult. Just let him know. <laughs> I think it was a good choice for him to have the amnesia in this story because it adds a thriller element. Hmm. Because he doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't know what to trust. He doesn't realize, is he meant to even return home? Or is this a suicide mission? He doesn't know until he does. Yeah. And it's got really good sci-fi elements, too. Um, It really hits a lot of buttons that I like. Not so much with the romance, but with other buttons. (laughs) And I don't want to spoil anything. Okay. That is it for this time. Check out our website, romancemepodcast.com, for our show notes, other episodes, and our upcoming reads. Don't forget, you can subscribe on Apple, Google, Amazon, or Spotify. And I have some exciting news. Um, Ooh, do I know the I news? I made us a Facebook. Huh? <laughs> I made us a Facebook. <gasps> Yay! Our face has been booked. I don't know if it's less of a hell site than Twitter, necessarily. <laughs> huh? who knows anymore but you can find us there at romance me pod or on twitter at romance me cast yay speaking of twitter or facebook or wherever else we're putting our fictional faces (laughs) our fictional faces (laughs) well because we're not gonna put our actual faces i'm sure okay let me put it this way i'm not putting my actual face regardless if you were romanced by nora and charlie's story let us know what you think And of course, join us next time when we discuss the American Roommate Experiment by Elena Amos. Bye! Yay! Yay. We're not doing bye anymore! (laughs) That was weird. I don't like saying bye. You should feel awkward. I feel weird. I'm no longer saying bye. Not saying bye. (laughs) It'll just be weird. It's fine. Weird is fine. It's because I trained you (laughs) for over two years to say bye. I am trained. (laughs) This is true. Changes? No! (laughs) What is this? This differentness. I can't find it.